You're listening to Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio with Andy Barrar. We have an action-packed show for you today. All sorts of tech news uh, we are going to be going through uh, in this program. Uh, a little later, we'll be uh, looking at uh, the latest smartphone to hit the market. Uh, lots of features and super cheap. And it's probably from a company you never heard of, uh, Alcatel, which is actually a huge telecommunications company out of France, but they're making inroads into North America. We're going to learn all about their new phone, the Idol 4. We'll also be uh, looking at parental control apps to manage kids' screen time. And this is a huge issue now because I've got kids, they're teenagers, and it's like crack. You know, all the smartphones and the laptops and tablets, uh, they are constantly on a screen. Talking about screen time, there will be no more screen time from Show Me beginning uh, in November. That was the streaming service offered by Rogers and Shaw. We'll have uh, Peter Nowak on the line to talk about uh, what happened. It's going to be uh, kind of an interesting topic. On the line now, though, we have our friend uh, Ted Kritsonis. He's a tech journalist. To talk about BlackBerry, we seem to be talking about BlackBerry a lot over the past couple of years. Uh, they have uh, struggled to keep up with uh, the smartphone innovation wars, uh, losing a lot of ground to Apple with their iPhone and uh, all the different Android devices uh, out there as well. Ted, uh, the news this week is BlackBerry is basically getting out of the hardware business. And I know a lot of people read those headlines. Maybe they don't dig down enough. Uh, It doesn't mean that there won't be any more BlackBerry phones. It's just that BlackBerry won't be making them anymore, right? Yeah. And so basically this uh, decision uh, more or less, I think, was just solidifying something that was already happening. Uh, BlackBerry's most recent device, the DTEC 50, which is an Android-based device that was in a mid-range price, was about 430, I believe, or 450 when it first launched, uh, was actually a rebadged phone. Um, so they didn't design that hardware. They just basically took the they, they, the, the manufacturer basically offered it to them. It was branded with Black, you know, with BlackBerry. They added their software in there, and hence you have the phone. So. That's what I think they'll be doing moving forward. Uh, if there are going to be hardware devices that have BlackBerry's logo on them, they will be. It'll be somebody else manufacturing them, basically. So what BlackBerry is saying is that, hey, we're not going to design our own phones anymore at all. We're just going to outsource that completely. I think a lot of people saw this coming, though. I mean, their market share has dropped to almost you know, less than 1%, uh, essentially, in, in most markets uh, around uh, the world, the ones that matter anyway. Uh, is Was it just a matter of time, Ted? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this this was a move that a lot of people expected. I mean, certainly people, like, in, in the industry that follow the industry uh, and, and are, you know, in the know, so to speak, uh, expected some expected this move probably to have happened sooner. But, yeah, so it's not a surprise, and, and I think uh, it makes sense in a lot of ways because if you're designing hardware in-house, that costs money. And as we know, BlackBerry's been trying to obviously, uh, you know, pull the purse strings back a little bit so that they're not spending as much. I mean, there have been cuts all over the place. So they're a leaner company, and if the hardware division is bleeding you, you're probably going to cut your losses as much as you can and then focus on other areas. Ted, you mentioned earlier that you know, BlackBerry came out with an Android-based phone. Before that, they had BlackBerry 10, their operating system. What do you think is going to happen with that? Are they going to completely adopt Android? And what will happen with that entire platform um, for BlackBerry? Well, publicly, they're saying that they're, they're sticking to BlackBerry 10, that they're not abandoning it. In fact, they have an update uh, that's been delayed that's supposed to be coming out 
uh, for BlackBerry 10 devices. So all those people uh, wielding BlackBerry passports, uh, I know you're out there, uh, you know, they're going to get an update, apparently. It is coming, and BlackBerry is st- still selling the BlackBerry 10 devices on their website. Um, and whatever carrier partners uh, who may be selling them are still selling them too. So it looks like the platform is not dead, but you raise a good point. I mean, what is the future of this platform if they are not making any hardware uh, moving forward? So I'm not sure. I I don't know really what kind of future it could have. I mean, the app support isn't really there, but at the same time, there is that very, very small hardcore base that wants to stick to that platform. They love it. And... um, for, I guess for the time being, it's still going to stick around. But at the same time, you have to look at it from the developer's point of view. If people are making apps, do they have to make an app separately for the BlackBerry platform? Because that's one of the issues I know Windows has had. And that's what we saw the demise of HP when they tried to get in the tablet business. They didn't have the ecosystem of apps. And so it's hard to survive if you can't offer the same apps that are on iOS and Android. Oh, that's absolutely true. I mean, that's that's what killed Windows, really, and uh, and 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 ar- arguably killed BlackBerry too. Um, although, again, you could argue in both of those cases that they they were a little late to 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 the game because uh, you know the other two um, platforms were already very well established at that point. But that being said, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the the lack of app support is already established with BlackBerry Ten. We're, we've already seen it. A lot of developers have basically abandoned it. But I think for the users who are sticking to BlackBerry 10, for them, the big thing, at least anecdotally with the people that I've spoken to, is the messaging side of it. So the hub, BlackBerry hub, uh, with all the messaging features and the calendar and the way all of that is integrated and the way that, you know, we all know BlackBerry is able to do, uh, a lot of people don't, you know, certain, the people who are still sticking to it don't want to give that up. And so for now, BlackBerry wants to support those users, but I I really don't know how long they can. I mean, you know, if you're going to support a very small group of people, it's going to cost money to do that. And uh, if you're a company that's trying to cut costs, uh, at some point I think there's going to be a finish line there. Ted, let's look towards the the future of BlackBerry. They're getting out of making their own hardware. They're going to obviously use partners going forward. If I was an investor, uh, do you have long-range hopes for BlackBerry? Are they going to come out of this? Well, I mean, we're talking about a company that has already been in the process of transitioning to a software and services company. So what that means is that they, from a consumer perspective, you're not going to see them be as visible because they're not going to be making things for you, really. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're all their apps that are on Android. You don't have to buy an Android-based BlackBerry to use their apps, by the way. You can download them, you know, fully uh, on any Android phone. Um, so they're there. But... For the software and services that they are looking to get into, I mean, a lot of that is enterprise-focused. Their subsidiary, Cunix, is very much involved in the automotive industry, has been for a long time. Um, So they've been a a middleware player in in that space and doing very well there. So they they will continue on this track of, hey, okay, we're good at security, we're good at encryption, you know, we're good at making sure that things are safe, that data is safe. Uh, they've got a chance. I mean, they, they've, they've got a chance. Uh, it's, but it's hard for me to say one way or the other whether or not they absolutely will be successful. I can only speculate. Ted, I want to thank you so much for joining us again. This is Ted uh, Kritsonis, uh, tech journalist. We're talking with about uh, BlackBerry getting out of the hardware business and uh, their future. Where can people find out more info about you, Ted? Uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, at by Teddy K, B-Y Teddy K, uh, and by Teddy K.com. 
When we come back from the break, we'll be talking with our friend Peter Tome, to, Noma, I can't even pronounce his name, Peter <laughs> Nowak, tech journalist and author of Humans 3.0, about Show Me, what happened? You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs here in the Chorus Radio Network, back after this. You're back with Get Connected, Mike Eggerboy here with Andy Brewer. we still got lots to talk about on today's show. We'll uh, be talking about the new Alcatel Idol 4 smartphone, premium smartphone for uh, little to no money, so you'll want to stay tuned to hear about that. And uh, how to get control of your kids' screen time uh, using some parental control apps. Uh, this is a must-listen-to segment for any parent uh, out there concerned about their kids spending too much time on their smartphones, uh, tablets, and laptops. We've got a great contest as well, Andy. That's right. Uh, later on, we're going to learn all about the Acatel Idol 4, but we're giving one away. So all you have to do is go to our website, getconnectedmedia.com, to enter and win the Acatel Idol 4. It's a new smartphone that just came out on the market, and we're going to learn a little bit more about it later on on the show. Well, the TV world is changing dramatically over the past few years and continues to do so as more and more people are cutting the cord, so to speak, from their cable or satellite uh, connections and going with streaming services. Most popular one out there, I think everyone has heard of, Netflix. They've got over 5 million Canadian customers uh, from what they're saying. So there's been some competitors uh, out in that space as well. In Canada here uh, in the past couple of years, the uh, the big cable companies have uh, launched their own services to compete against Netflix, uh, so to speak. Uh, on the Bell side, uh, Crave TV, and on the Rogers and Shaw side, they partnered with Show Me. But as announced this week, Show Me is no more as of November. Peter Nowak, tech journalist and author of Humans 3.0, is on the line to uh, help us uh, understand what happened. Thanks for joining us, Peter. Yeah, no problem. Hi, guys. So, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, as you said, it's uh, Show Me is uh, not going to be showing much of anything as of the end of November. Basically, Rogers has decided to shut it down. Uh, it's a bit of, you know, kind of behind-the-scenes intrigue as to exactly what's been happening, because Show Me was a partnership between Rogers and Shaw, and apparently uh, the two companies uh, just, you know, decided that they weren't going to be partners in this anymore. So there, it's a little bit up in the air as to exactly what happened. But there was, there's talk that uh, Show Me, or sorry, Shaw wanted to pull out, and Rogers was going to be left uh, running it by themselves. And I guess they decided uh, discretion is the better part of valor, and that's not going to happen. Uh, Peter, I understand. If I understand correctly, what happened was originally they were looking to partner up with other companies, like even like Bell to compete with Netflix, because Netflix is huge. When you talk about streaming, it's really hard to compete with them. Did you hear anything about that, where they just weren't able to hammer a deal where they could all get along and decided to have their own separate streaming services? Yeah, I've heard similar things. Again, it's, it's not, uh, I can't say it's substantiated, but there was talk that it was supposed to be Bell, Rogers, Shaw, and Cineplex uh, were all going to go in on one big uh, streaming service. And apparently it fell apart because Cineplex, <clears throat> excuse me, Cineplex uh, objected to the idea that, you know, all three of those TV providers wanted to offer this service, first of all, with uh, authentication or cable authentication, meaning that you would have to be a TV subscriber in order to be able to sign on to this service. And Cineplex was uh, was apparently not a fan of that, so I, that's 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 the report as to why that fell apart. And uh, you know they went their separate ways with the two separate services. Do you think they had a chance to begin with? I mean, Netflix is so huge—five million uh, subscribers in Canada. Like that's kind of hard to catch up to, isn't it? Yeah, it is, and I think uh, you know just to go back to that to the uh, that sort of United service, that would have been, I think, a much better proposition for people. Uh, you know, instead of 
instead of uh, parceling off this content in all of these shows and, and movies into three separate services, you know, if they if they had come with one united front, I think they probably would have had a better chance. And you have to kind of have a united front against somebody like Netflix. Like Netflix spends hundreds of millions of dollars a year just on R and D. Uh, you know, I've been to Netflix headquarters in uh, in California in Los Gatos, and you know they they have entire departments that are just uh, their entire jobs are working on. Uh, trying to figure out, you know, when you're when you fire up Netflix and you see those images that you know the little sort of like box shots that tell you what uh, what the show or the movie is, they actually do an awful lot of research into just the shape, what shape those things have to be in to, to you know draw maximum uh, interest from viewers. So when you have a company that's putting that kind of resources into such small minor things, uh, you know, you're kind of I don't know how you're going to compete against that if you're somebody like Rogers or Bell. I wonder if there's much hope for the middleman, which I think essentially they were. You look at Netflix, and they're kind of a middleman. They're buying content from, uh, you know, studios, but they're also making their own content and, like, pretty high-end content as well. Orange is the New Black, Narcos, House of Cards, and you really didn't see anything like that coming out of Rogers and Shaw, or even Bell, for that matter, for their streaming services. Yeah, and that's uh, that's another thing, too. I think the, the one, or perhaps probably the most disappointing part of, of uh, Show Me and Crave TV is I, I kind of got the sense that Show Me, Rogers and Shaw were trying a little harder with Show Me, uh, but with Crave TV especially, you know, this is why I wouldn't be surprised to see Crave TV eventually fall in, in Show Me's footsteps and fold up shop as well, because uh, there just doesn't see, seem to be a lot of effort being put into it, or a lot of resources. Uh, you know, both of these services, they look very much the same as they did when they launched two years ago. Uh, they, uh, especially Crave TV, they haven't really added all that much new content. And with Crave TV, it's a really interesting situation there because Bell does have the rights to basically all HBO shows. They could, if they wanted to, put Game of Thrones into Crave TV, and, and uh, I think that would be a huge hit and really drive adoption. But they've so far they've chosen not to. And there, there's a really big difference, too, is because, you know, when, when Show Me first started two years ago, uh, Rogers and Shaw, they always talked about how they first tied it to cable, but they always talked about how they would eventually open it to everybody, which they did last summer. Uh, Bell, there was a big difference there. When they launched Crave TV, they tied it to their TV subscriptions, and they never really wanted to open it up to everybody, and they kind of had to, uh, first because Rogers and, Show- and Shaw opened up Show Me, but also because the CRTC came in with some new regulations that required them to do so if they wanted to you know, continue to show um, uh, exclusive content on there. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens now if uh, if they're going to try to go back on that somehow. Yeah, I, I think one of the mistakes Show Me made was when, when they first launched, you had to be a subscriber with Rogers or Shaw to get it, and then only later did they finally uh, say, okay, we're going to open it up to everybody. Do you think they would have standed a chance if they opened it up right, right away to, to everybody, even if you didn't have a, a cable subscription? Yeah, well, I think that definitely would have been a. They would have made a, made a lot, a much larger splash. You know, when you are launching a new service to compete with Netflix, Netflix has uh, you know very good uh, brand recognition. It it scores very highly in customer satisfaction uh, surveys and so on. Um, so you, you kind of you're launching a product to that kind of goes up against something that's so well regarded. You got to make it as appealing as possible, and that was a big problem for them when they when they launched this. Is you know I think a lot of Canadians came along and and. Said, 
said, oh, what's show me? And they took a look, and they said, oh, I have to be a cable subscriber. Forget it. Uh, and that's another strike against uh, all of these, both of these services, too, is that, um, you know, they're trying to appeal to cord cutters, and cord cutters are the ones who have uh, fled away from the likes of Rogers and Shaw and Bell, a lot of them anyways. So I think they're, you know, I don't know what, I would guess it's probably not that many people that this is their primary motivation, but I think there are some people who stayed away from these services just because they were from Bell and, uh, from Bell and Rogers and from Shaw. Well, interesting times uh, ahead. We'll uh, be following Crave to see if they can survive. Uh, you know, I, I kind of share the same doubts as, uh, as you, Peter, because essentially their one value proposition is that they're, you know, playing HBO content. Once HBO has the ability to, you know, launch their streaming app into Canada, uh, you know, again, what, what does Bell have to offer then? Yeah, and that's the thing too. I think uh, I think what HBO is doing. I think HBO is, is taking a bit of a long game here. Uh, you know, there. I think there's a lot of Canadians who were disappointed when they when HBO sold uh, a lot of those rights to Game of Thrones and so on last year to Bell. Uh, I don't think anybody really knows how long those rights are for. I think I might have heard 18 months, but I could be wrong. Um, so it could be you know HBO is is <laughs> kind of waiting for everybody else to kind of fail, and then they'll come in and, and launch their HBO service like they have in the U.S., HBO uh, Now, I believe it's called. Um, so I think that's something that Canadians welcome. And, you know, that, that's another thing, too. I think if those services do enter, if it's HBO or if it's Amazon Prime Video, that's another. That's the other big one in the U.S., I think if these services enter Canada, I think they're going to be very successful. Um, you know, it's just that uh, they've got the brand recognition, they've got the uh, the, the technology, they've got the, they're investing, uh, you know, in their R&D just like Netflix is. So I think you might... I think it might take a few years, but I, uh, I sort of feel like these guys are going to come here eventually and that they're going to succeed when they do. Peter, as always, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. That was Peter Nowak, tech journalist and author of Humans 3.0. When we come back, we're going to talk about parental control apps to manage your kids' screen time and one of the latest Android smartphones. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with Andy Brar. We still got lots of great stuff to talk about. A little while we'll be uh, looking at the latest Android smartphone from Alcatel, and we'll also hear App of the Week from Christina Stoyanova. Right now, though, I want to talk about screen time when it comes to kids and teens. Uh, I think if you look at any of those youngsters, I can't believe I'm saying that makes me old. <laughs> uh, they they got their noses buried uh, in a smartphone, tablet, or uh, laptop. On the line right now, we've uh, got Jill Amory. She's the CEO of Urban Mommies Media. Thanks for joining us, Jill. Thanks for having me. I wanted to get you on the show because uh, this is kind of a concern for a lot of parents out there, even myself. I've got uh, a few teenagers, and they are constantly on their smartphones. I, I think if I were to pry their smartphones out of their hands, they, they would probably die. Uh, and I think a lot of parents are concerned about how much uh, screen time uh, their kids uh, are having in front of these these devices, aren't they? Very concerned. And there are a number of apps and devices that you can place in your home that actually will pause the internet or disable certain functions on their smartphones and and generally in your Wi-Fi. I really think it's important to set good rules and boundaries, such as everybody's cell phone goes in a, in a box during mealtime, for instance. And after a certain point in the evening, you, you cannot take your tablet or your smartphone into your bedroom. There are 
just general rules that can work for families that you need to talk about as a family and make sure that there's communication around them. I, I think you brought up two really good suggestions there before we even talk about, you know, apps or anything like that. Uh, number one, mealtime. I mean, the reason why you are eating together is because it's family time and it's, you know, a great opportunity to talk to everyone in the family about how your day went and other family uh, issues. And just by simply getting the phones away from the table uh, is like a fantastic opportunity to get more of that close time. But also uh, a big problem, I think, for a lot of uh, teens and even adults as well is having screen time right before bed. And, you know, science has shown that that actually disrupts our sleep patterns if we're like using our smartphones or tablets uh, just before we're going to bed. So actually, you know, taking that out of the equation as well helps dramatically, doesn't it? It does, and I really do believe that you, you need to come up with these rules and regulations as a family, and even probably more important, and where I continuously fail, is modeling proper cell phone use for your kids. You're, you shouldn't be doing it while driving. You shouldn't be doing it before bed yourself. You shouldn't have it beeping while you're at the dinner table trying to have a meaningful conversation. It's too bad you're not like me, the perfect parent, <laughs> who displays all these great, <laughs> these great habits. But uh, for those parents that aren't perfect like myself, um, you know, two great suggestions there. What are some other things, uh, apps or, or things we can do to, to help our, our kids? Well, I, there are two groups of regulatory apps that you can impose on children's devices. Some are apps that you have on your phone, and then you have a companion app on the child's phone. And examples include Family Time or Kirby. And these apps are very, very comprehensive. And I would firstly recommend that any parent who wants to install these apps have a very honest, open conversation with your child about the reasons, the rules, and also the opportunity for the child to prove themselves by sticking within the rules. And I think this is a, this is a key component. There are apps that have a very low level of monitoring, such as Life360, which is pretty much just a location tracking group texting app where kids can check in when they get to certain places and send alerts to their parents. And then there are apps like Family Time, which allows time limits, homework time, the internet shuts off, app blockers. There, there are also other apps that will give the parent a photograph anytime the child takes a picture of themselves or something else. So there's a whole level and, and realm of, of breadth. And I think you really, really need to have a good conversation with your child about the pitfalls of devices, cyberbullying, sexual predators, privacy concerns, and then reputation management. And then allow the child to, to to meet the task. Jill, what do you think about using like the internet and connectivity to these devices as almost like an allowance? So 
when you, you, you give them the internet to reward good behavior, like doing their chores, do you think that's something that a lot of parents should consider? I don't think so. I think just like teaching a child to be able to have a good conversation around a dinner table without a device in their hand, I think devices actually can enhance lifestyle. And I don't think a device should be used as a reward because I think kids really need to learn how to properly regulate themselves on the device. A lot of schools are are using iPads, laptops, apps to teach children. And for us to say, you can earn extra time on your device if and only if you do the dishes, I think it becomes a little counterproductive, especially when the schools are requiring a child to be on their device at certain times of the day. Jill, lots of great info. Uh, we could obviously fill a few shows uh, with this uh, type of uh, content for uh, parents. Where can people find out more information about what you do? Well, my urbanmommies.com, and I've actually just done a roundup of the seven top parental control apps and devices. And I am also available anytime to answer any questions. This is a, a subject I feel very, very strongly about. And I do believe that with balance, there can be a happy medium. And kids should have devices, but they should also know when to turn them off. Thanks for joining us, Jill. Thanks so much for having me. That was Jill Amory, CEO of Urban Mommies at urbanmommies.com. You'll want to check out uh, her site to get some of the latest uh, tips on uh, helping your kids manage their screen time. When we come back, we'll be uh, looking at the latest smartphones from Alcatel and a little bit later, App of the Week with Christina Stoyanova. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo with Andy Brar in studio. Right now, we want to uh, talk about smartphones. I had a chance recently to try out one of the latest from Alcatel, their new Idle 4 smartphone, uh, I think available uh, now. On the line, uh, we've got uh, Rick Lateo, Director of uh, Accounts for Canada, and Jason Gurdon, Senior Communications Manager for North America at Alcatel. Thanks for joining us, guys. Uh, so just as a, a quick primer, uh, tell our, our listeners uh, a little bit about Alcatel. What, what are you guys all about? Absolutely. Um To define our mission in one short sentence, we try and deliver the greatest experience-driven value in the marketplace. So, yes, price is one thing, but really what we're delivering in terms of experience is the most important thing to take away. Well, it's interesting because there is a lot of choice out in the smartphone market, uh, especially on the Android side uh, in which space you guys are playing. But I I was pretty impressed with this new phone that uh, you were basically launching. Uh, it's, It's an Android phone. The specs are really good on the phone, and it actually has a great price uh, as well. Uh, called the Idle 4, uh, available from what I understand on, on Bell and Virgin. Uh, tell me a little bit about the phone. Absolutely. So it's, it's funny because um, in a lot, of these, uh, a lot of these conversations, we start talking about high-end devices, flagship devices, and, and what we're really most excited about is bringing a flagship-type experience to a category that really uh, hasn't had it for that price point. So the Idle 4 is $0 on any rate plan. Uh, it's important to note. 
Uh, so we'll call that out before we get into the specs because uh, you, you'll have to kind of wrap your brain around that. A lot of people ask us how we do it, and we can get into that later. But the device itself is uh, beautifully crafted, glass on the front, glass on the back, has metal edging around it, um, all the high-end specs you expect. So the processor is an octa-core from Qualcomm. It's a 5.2-inch five, display, uh, full HD uh, and then an incredible camera. So the back shoots 13 megapixels, and then the front shoots 8, which is uh, extremely important. But there's two other things about the front-facing camera that I like to call out. The first one is it's wide angle, so you can fit a whole ton of other people in there if you want to recreate that, that Ellen selfie. And then the, the second part is it actually has a flash in a, in a true flash on the front, uh, which is a bit unique as people really struggle to take that selfie in dark lighting. That would be good for you and I, Andy. <laughs> we need we know we need all the lighting uh, we can. That's we can probably get. why I don't take selfies. I don't have a good <laughs> enough lighting all the time. But you know that that's an interesting thing that you guys have done there. I mean, smartphones uh, they can do so many things, but a lot of people use it uh, as their primary can camera now. So you know, the better pictures you can take with better lighting, obviously, that's uh, a benefit for people. Absolutely, and and for us, it's about. Uh, making technology that hasn't necessarily been available to the masses. And if we think about price points, not everybody has $800 or $1,000 to spend on a device. So what we want to do is democratize that technology and bring it to everybody. Uh, and, and we're doing that with the Idle 4. You've got some other unique features uh, that I was, had a chance to play around with. Tell us about the boom button on the side. Yeah, the, the boom key is, uh, we, we, it's kind of our the ace in our sleeve. So... Uh, the boom key can do a bunch of different things. Out of the box, uh, it's got some, some gestures and some, some setups that, for example, if the display is off and you double-click the boom key, it'll automatically launch the camera. So it'll allow you to go, for example, you see something really quick that you want to take an image of. There's no fiddling through the menus, trying to find the camera button. You're, you're literally ready to go. Um, other things it does is, for example, you can hold the boom key and it'll take a whole series of burst shots. Um, as people are, are, you know, getting more into active activities, you can literally take a, a 10, 15 shots in a matter of seconds. So that's a cool feature. Another one is uh, once you're in your gallery, uh, and you really have to see this to appreciate it, but I'll do my best to describe it. Once you're in your gallery of the photos you've taken, you essentially hit the boom key, and it transforms that automatically uh, into a collage that you can share on social media, um, peruse through your device on yourself, share it, send it to your friends, uh, a bunch of different things. Um, people are also taking a ton of screenshots these days. So you can program uh, that boom key to take a screenshot right on the device. And again, you can send a funny conversation you had to your friends or your family. Uh, the boom key really, it can be anything you want it to be. And it, it offers customers a whole other level of customization and a bit of, uh, a bit of uniqueness, especially in the category it plays. Uh Jason, uh, tell me about another feature that I, I thought was kind of unique. Uh, a lot of times, you know, I'm, I'm trying to grab my phone out of my pocket to, you know, answer a call or check an email. Uh, it doesn't matter which way I bring it out, does it? No. So one of the things that we've carried over from our Idol 3 from last year was this fully reversible UI. And as you pointed out, what's really great about this fully reversible UI is because the design uh, features that we have on our IDLE 3 and, and now we've carried over to IDLE 4 in the sense that the, the, the device itself is fully symmetrical. So you can now 
just grab the phone out of your bag or off your nightstand, uh, or you can have it plugged in and using it as a GPS in your car, and you no longer have to really be thinking about something as simple as, well, what way do I have my phone standing? Is it right side up or upside down? Because that UI will automatically orient itself to be right side up, no matter which way you're holding the device. So it's one of those little added features that we continue to try to add to our devices to just enhance that overall user experience. We're talking about the Alcatel Idol 4. We've got Rick and Jason on the line giving us the details uh, on that. Uh, and again, I just have to stress this. I had a chance to really play with this and have it in my hands. I, I was actually really impressed that it's actually a premium-feeling phone, but again, uh, at $0, that's, that's pretty pretty affordable, I think, to most people. Absolutely. And the one thing I'd call out on the, the price point itself is uh, you don't necessarily need to sign up to a $90 rate plan. Um, you can actually buy that device at $0 for as low as a $35 rate plan. You can sign up to any rate plan that's available at Bell or Virgin. Let's uh, just quickly talk about, uh, you have a new tablet as well that uh, is, has launched. The Pop 7, I believe? That's correct. The Pop 7 LTE is the most affordable connected tablet available in the marketplace. So again, this device as well is $0, and you can get a rate plan on it as low as $5 per month. So what we're seeing happen is a lot of customers are actually coming into their store, upgrading their devices, and then also adding a tablet onto their line as well. So you're really seeing uh, connection on multiple displays. Instead of handing their children a a $1,000 tablet from one of our competitors, they feel a lot more comfortable purchasing a tablet for, say, $150 outright if they wanted to do no contract and, and handing it out to their kids. We're seeing a lot of success that way. And from what I understand, uh, as far as connectivity, obviously Wi-Fi is uh, hard-baked into it, but uh, you can do uh, a cellular connection as well for cell data? Absolutely. So Wi-Fi being a primary uh, primary feature that everybody knows and loves, but because uh, data plans are becoming more affordable in the Canadian marketplace, um, for example, as low as $5, 5 to $10 a month, you can get a connected LTE SIM card directly in your device, so you can use maps for navigation, you can uh, send text messages, SMS back and forth, or really just use it as a multimedia YouTube device for your kids on the go. Well, guys, I really want to thank you for joining us today. Where can people find out more information about these uh, these two? We welcome you to check us out uh, online at AlcatelOneTouch.ca or also at uh, the Bell.ca websites or VirginMobile.ca. That was Rick Leto and Jason Gurdon from uh, Alcatel talking about the new Idol 4 smartphone and Pop 7 tablet. When we come back, App of the Week with Christina Stoyanova. Stay tuned. You're back with Get Connected. Mike and Andy here in studio. A little bit of time left. You know what that means. It's App of the Week with Christina. In studio, what do you got for us? I have another Google app. Another Google app. Let's hear it. We're running a little theme here right now. Yes, no kidding. Well, I felt like we needed to talk about this one because we talked about Google Allo last week, yes. which is a text messaging app that integrates the uh, Google search engine into the whole experience. So Google actually, around the same time, released a different messaging app or <laughs> chat app, I should say. Because we need another one. Because <laughs> you need another one. Yes. Um, I think it's interesting what they're doing, actually. But this is Google Duo. Yes. And it's actually for talking face-to-face, kind of like FaceTime on the iPhone. I've heard a little bit about this. Uh, i got to be honest, I haven't really tried it out uh, to any extent. Uh, but what's appealing to me is that I love FaceTime. 
because uh, yes. I have uh, an Apple iPhone. But the only problem is I can't use FaceTime if I'm phoning an Android user. So this right. one works on both, right? On both, yeah. And it's actually kind of cool. They've... Uh, you know, they've made some progress on making sure that the experience is really smooth. So it'll actually downgrade resolution if your signal strength is getting weaker just to make it all smoother so you don't drop calls, which is a big thing when you're video chatting, generally speaking. There was this video chat app I used to use a while back. I think it's still around, but no one uses it anymore. Uh, it was called Tango. and I've never even heard of this. Well, you weren't born yet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> essentially. Um, but uh, that was the app in the day because it would do video conferencing uh, or video chats in both iPhone and Android. Don't know where it is now, but uh, I, I hear a lot of good things about Google Duo. Uh, kind yeah. of an interesting feature I heard about is that when you're, if I'm phoning you. The knock-knock feature. The knock-knock feature. If I initiate a call with you um, and you can see it ringing on your side, you can actually see me before you answer. Yeah, it's really cool because you know what mood that person is in before you pick up the phone. It's weird. Yeah. I, I'm i a little kind of out of sorts with that feature. Like if, what if I'm like not realizing that it's actually videoing me before you pick up and I'm like, God, I don't want to be phoning Christina right now, but I have to. Yes. Well, I'll know. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially you will, but it's kind of neat though. Well, when you're in trouble with Alana, you'll know now because you'll be able to see. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I better not answer this. <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting. I mean, they're coming out with so many messaging apps now. Obviously, it's a very uh, competitive space. Yeah, you know what? It's interesting, their, their strategy here. And I think it's because they want to simplify things, right? So they're catering these apps towards the specific purpose that you're using it for. So this Google Duo doesn't have a lot of bells and whistles. Like you're not going to like be able to draw on your video or anything yeah. crazy like that. So it the is kids will hate it. <laughs> Google Duo available for iOS and Android. That's all the time we have left. We'll catch you again next week on Get Connected.